Are you ready for the end of the world? <laughs> you are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. I always forget. I've been doing this promo so many years, I cannot remember it. Huh. <laughs> Just like, yeah. But I always forget at the exact same spot. So, so yes. This is Orda Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. And we are live, local, wait, maybe all over the world. Yes, live and local. Well, we're in at least two locations today. Uh, we have a special guest on the air with us here. I believe we've got you connected now. Uh, can you hear us, Richard? Indeed, Tucson. I'm here with you and very excited to talk about uh, the future. <laughs> it's <laughs> yes. like the future of now. <laughs> yes, well, we're excited to have you on the air. So first for our listeners, could you tell us uh, your name and a little bit about yourself? Sure, of course, of course. You know, my, my name is uh, Richard Garriott. Uh, I'm actually, uh, for those who might have heard of me, uh, you know, I'm uh, probably best known as a video game developer. I developed the Ultima series of computer games and invented things like the word avatar and the category of massively multiplayer games. Uh, and I also happen to be a private astronaut. My uh, my father was an astronaut and uh, that made uh, me likely grow up believing that was more possible than most kids might have thought it was. Uh, and with the money I earned in the computer gaming industry, I helped open up civilian space flight. And so I've uh, traveled to space myself in October of 2008, went up on a Russian rocket to go live on the International Space Station for a couple of weeks. And, uh, and in my time since uh, my 2008 trip, I not only still do work uh, very actively still making computer games. One I'm working on now called Shroud of the Avatar, and I still work on space flight stuff. We still spend uh, send about a person every year or two up into space. Uh, but I've uh, been uh, focusing a lot these last few years on trying to solve public transportation, which I know sounds like a, a very strange... I mean, my, my career's already probably sound a lot pretty strange for people to see how they're connected already, but um, you know, I'm a believer that if you're a creator of virtual worlds you you know one of the things you also become uh along that journey is a keen observer and a, an appreciator of the reality in which we live and so you think about global problems a lot or you or or how the uh how things work on here on the surface of the earth and and so uh, uh personal rapid transit is something that i am uh, now a big fan of and have uh, spent quite a bit of time and money and I'm building uh, companies to try to provide as a solution to at least one of the many uh, modern contemporary problems we have. Yeah, so it's interesting to hear how your experience, your career as a game designer has influenced your thoughts on this subject. That was actually going to be one of my questions. You're used to looking at sort of system-level design for the global uh, reality within your games, and then I can see how that could easily translate into looking at systems in the real world and seeing how to improve them. No, that's exactly right. You know, I, I often describe uh, to my designers, even in the in the in the virtual world map building we create. You know, you you think about things like how, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure this will sound familiar to everybody, but you think of a neighborhood. You know, the streets in a neighborhood uh, go around collections of homes that are sitting back to back against each other, and the reason why it's always two rows of homes and not say three is, you know, if you if you put roads around a Three by three block of homes. The home in the center tile doesn't have access to the street. And uh, conversely, if you 
put uh, roads after only one house, you put a road on the front and the back of each house, then you build twice as many roads as you might need. So the costs go up. And so these are the sort of things that, you know, you, you, if you're trying to build a virtual reality that feels real, you have to know why the real world was built the way it was. And so you think about power and water and streets and taxation and all the other things that makes a real world uh, function well. Uh, and, uh, you know, you add to that, uh, you know, right after my space flight, I was, I was, uh, uh, officing downtown in Austin, right next to, you know, two blocks from a bus stop. And, and I realized that I am not a user of public transit, despite the fact that I'm incredibly physically close to it. And so uh, I sat down and said, you know, let me, let me do some analysis as to why that's the case. And I came up with five, um, problems with the traditional public transit that at least for me implied that I was never going to be a user of public transit as it currently is. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, public transit today is it's not on demand. I have to go to a bus stop and wait. Uh, it's not going to take me directly to my other destination. I'll very likely have to, you know, go north south for a while, get off the bus, get onto an east west bus, and take another bus for a while. You know, it's not full speed along its journey. It's going to be stopping and starting to let other people on and off along the way. It is either going to be involved in the same traffic I'd be in in my car, or if you condemn some lanes for, say, uh, light rail, it will exacerbate the problems of the traffic that's on the, on the roadway. So it's either involved in the same traffic or creating additional traffic if it's a uh, surface transport. transport. And, uh, and then I said, you know, and even if it was the same, even if the bus got me there at the same speed as my car, but wasn't better, I probably, or at least often, will still take a car because with a car I can change my mind and go, you know, off grid, so to speak, uh, at any time. And being private, I can turn up the radio and air conditioning, anything else, whatever I want, uh, and spread out my bags or you know keep change in the you know in the pocket, whatever it might be. Uh, and so, public transit really has to be a superior solution to my car, or I don't think you're going to get the kind of broad adoption we need to make it happen. And so that was sort of a realization that I had kind of combining my thinking of, of games and uh, uh, space <laughs> and uh, and being a public citizen that, that led me to personal rapid transit, which I can, of course, also describe. Yeah, and that, I can see how that would be a difference between modes of transit. That um, People often ask, why don't people use public transit more? And I think you've named some of the reasons. So what, what can you tell us a little bit more about personal rapid transit and how it would address that? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, as soon as I realized that problem, I said, look, I'm not going to use public transit. I mean, I just don't think it's in my future, at least as currently envisioned uh, or existing you know, here in our town. And I said, you know, there are places where it does work well, like uh, New York City has a subway system that works well. And things that are off the roadway do work considerably better than things that are competing with car traffic on the roadway. And, uh, uh, and so the first thought I had about how to solve this since I thought subways in Austin might be very expensive and uh, and problematic, is I said, okay, well, what about something overhead? And I, I my first thought was computer-controlled gondolas, you know, where I thought of, you know, a north-south and an east-west grid of cables that, uh, you know, a gondola might carry you from bus stop to bus stop. And if it needed to switch from going north-south to east-west, a computer could just lift the car off of a north-south wire onto an east-west wire. Um and while that actually solved a lot of those problems, it would be on demand, it'd be full speed, it would go directly to, from my source to my destination, uh, it wouldn't be involved in traffic, and it would be private. So it solved my whole list of problems. 
except that it's gondolas, which are giant metal swinging objects underneath the cable. <laughs> that, you need, that you need people at every stop. Every one of those bus stops, you know, has to have a person there to keep it from crushing children, and uh, you know, and helping get on and off. And I thought the the reliability from an engineering standpoint wasn't going to be that good. Yeah. Uh, and so I said, okay, uh, that, that particular ride didn't work. But then. I began to search the globe, you know, because I could solve the problem you know, relatively quickly in my mind's eye with at least one solution, I figured there had to be others. And so I, I found this growing group of companies that are developing now technologies that are broadly called PRT, Personal Rapid Transit. And uh, effectively, what it is in all cases, it's a raised guideway with a small pod car on it or sometimes slung under it, sometimes driving on top of it. But these pod cars uh, are automated electric vehicles that hold one group, one family. And uh, they queue up at bus stops, but these are elevated bus stops. And when you walk to a bus stop, you uh, touch a computer screen and say, you know, maybe I'm at uh, uh, First in Congress and I want to go to, you know, 15th and uh, Red River. And uh, when you press that as your destination... The door slides open. You sit down in the vehicle. There's one button that is called go. When you press the go button, the vehicle waits for a gap on the full speed one way, full speed all the time, uh, you know, guideway. And then it accelerates onto it. And once it's on the guideway, it is running full speed and only full speed directly from where you got on to directly where you will get off with no stops or, or pauses anywhere in between. And so... What's interesting about this is, again, not only does it solve all these problems I mentioned, it's, it's on demand, it goes full speed, uh, it uh, makes no stops, it uh, is point-to-point and private. But, but probably the most important thing is, compared to light rail, it is about a tenth the cost. And why that's important is that if you look at transit systems around the globe, all transit systems, buses and trains or subways, all of them... Uh, are heavily subsidized by taxpayers. And by the way, that, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong or inappropriate because, you know, if you've displaced your workforce, out of your, you've priced them out of downtown, it might be reasonable to tax people downtown or businesses downtown to help bring the workforce in via subway or whatever else. Uh, however, you know, the, the, the result is that transit systems usually have about a 50% taxpayer load. So whatever people pay as bus fare or or, or, or train fare, um, taxpayers are paying that same amount again just to make it break even uh, and not not fold. Um, with uh, But with PRT, it only costs literally a, a tenth the price. And when you cut the price of building it and operating it by tenfold, instead of operating a loss and requiring taxpayer support, it actually operates at a profit. And so therefore can help to you know, sponsor other good works around the city. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and it also means you don't have to get uh, taxpayer people to go do it. You don't have to have, to have big bond issues. Um, you know, you, you don't have to, you know, you, you think about in Austin where we've, you know, worked so hard or at least tried to get uh, uh, light rail initiatives off the ground and taxpayers have, you know, consistently voted them down. Uh, the nice thing about this is you don't need taxpayer money. So you don't need, you don't have to go through the whole part of the process. You just need people to not stop you. And so uh, for the last few years, I've been uh, uh, building a, a company and a consortium uh, to hopefully bring this to Austin as a service uh, without asking any taxpayer for tax money. 
Yes, and that sounds like an exciting proposal. And taxpayers do tend to support programs that generate revenue rather than requiring revenue. Um, that's part of yeah. what's interesting about this to me. And, and I totally agree. And you know what's interesting too is you know when people hear about it, you know there's there's sort of a variety of reactions people have. One is it's either kind of futuristic Jetsons pods that they don't believe are serious, except that it's already working now in a number of cities around the globe. And uh, my favorite one is at Heathrow Terminal Five in London. It's been operating. Uh, as a public service for three years. Uh, so it, it's real. It's not hypothetical. Um, the next thing people argue about is they go, well, yeah, well, surely this can't put as many people through as a bus does because a bus holds 30 or 50 people at a time and these only hold, you know, one to six people at a time. Surely the bus will take more, a lot more people or a train will take a lot more people than a PRT system. And the answer is no again. And again, the reason why is because these things are immediately go on demand. As soon as one person walks up, Within 30 seconds, they're off on the track, and another pod is waiting for the next person to board. And usually at a station, there's more than one entry platform. And so unlike a train or a bus where, you know, either you have to have a long platform and people get in at, you know, one end or the other of a long car, these you, you enter directly to the seat that you're sitting in, and then you get whisked away. And so uh, it turns out these have significantly higher throughput than buses. Uh, and then the final thing people go is they go, well, yeah, you know, okay, it really exists. We believe you. Okay, the math, or you can even demonstrate it. Either they can show you why the throughput is better than a bus or a train. And they go, okay, well, surely we don't believe the costs uh, because, uh, you know, uh, the, the cost must be, uh, you know, uh, too high. And, and they're worried that, you know, if you, if you start down this path and you're wrong on the cost, you might eventually have to come back at taxpayers for money or something. But, again, you can look at that and go, like, well, first of all, if we make an agreement that says we won't ask you for money, then if our company goes out of business, it's not your problem. And so, uh, first of all, we can we can set it up to where for sure there's no there's no financial impact to taxpayers. But uh, aside from that, again, because these are now operational or becoming operational around the globe, you can actually measure historically exactly what the cost to build, exactly what the cost to operate, exactly what the throughput of people really is. Uh, and therefore, we feel very confident that, uh, you know, all we really need is permission uh, and uh, we will bring this uh, not only to the city of Austin, but, you know, hopefully uh, we'll start building these around the globe. That sounds like a good solution. Do you have any uh, any place you'd like people to go for more information about PRT or about your other work that you described? Uh, yes, absolutely. You know, in fact, uh, we have a website, usaprt.com. Uh, that will tell you uh, kind of initially uh, about it. Um, you know, we're building the consortium uh, now, uh, you know, here in Austin. So, uh, 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 you know, anybody that's interested, uh, uh, I think there's a place you can sign up. Uh, uh, in fact, I'm going to just check that myself right now. <laughs> I just make sure you can give us your, your name now. There's a contact us button on there. Sure is. So, uh, yeah. So if you want to get involved in this at all or have further questions, uh, you know, feel free to contact us on that website, uh, on our website. And uh, and also, you know, part of the process of bringing anything like this to, to bear is educating people and uh, answering any of the concerns they might have. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, it, it is such a new thing uh, that a lot of people have doubts or questions or, and, and those that don't, there's actually a lot of people that are just going like, wow, I, I find, finally a solution I can, I can believe in, let's make it happen, how can I help? And so, you know, with, with that regard to which side of that you're on, you know, I now come and do talks regularly at uh, uh, for corporate uh, events uh, or 
uh, other kind of uh, business and, and community gatherings in Austin. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if you're interested, I'd be happy to help any way I can. All right. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for talking to us. Do I have one last quick question while you're on the sure. air? Sure. wanted to ask you a gaming-related question while we've got Absolutely. you. Um, this new game you're coming out with, Shot of the Avatar. Um, yeah. Part, part of what I've appreciated about your past games in the Ultima series is how they inspire people to think about ethical and philosophical questions. So I just wanted you to say a little bit briefly about how Shot of the Avatar is going to continue in that tradition. Sure, absolutely. In fact, let me get a little backgrounder for those who are less familiar. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and first of all, also thank you for noticing that aspect of my games. Um, you know, most games are have a very similar uh, foundational uh, plot. You know, your uh, uh, most games are about running around and fighting things and collecting treasure or other valuables and like gear uh, that you might be able to put to use. And with that better gear and better experienced, more powerful character, you then fight tougher monsters and then repeat the process again. So it's, you know, most games are relatively simplistic and, uh, uh, and you know, morally ambiguous at best. Uh, but most people, you know, and, and by the way, they're often very great games. I'm not trying to knock them as games. I'm just saying as literature or as art, um, they haven't evolved much since the uh, early days. And, and at least for me, I find what makes me personally happy about uh, my work as a creator, uh, and I also think that makes them better games, better art, is my games since Ultima 4, so this is going back to the you know, mid-1980s, uh, my games have really focused strongly on making sure that the story you participate in is one that is deeply personally meaningful to you as a player and speaks to contemporary social issues that everyone can relate to. And so each of my games sort of talks about the world as we find it today. And I take, I, I, I take my inspiration for storylines literally out of the news headlines uh, or out of uh, popular culture and popular art that I see around me. Uh, and then I put the player into positions where um, I try to showcase to the player how you know, uh, all of us have frailties and, and weaknesses uh, that, that most of us don't recognize. And, you know, I, I, you, know you, you look at, for example, the political contention uh, today uh, that is very deep-rooted and, you know, and 50% of the population believes one seemingly radical thing in one direction and uh, the other group of people who, of course, believe that they are normal and, and sound and, and competent are thought of by the other 50% as radical and, you know, an extreme and outrageous. And so what I try to do is I, I put issues in the games, things to interact with, that I purposely fool players to trying to take one side or the other that, that, that they might not realize they would normally take. Uh, kind of just showing everybody how, part, you know, we all have bigotry and biases that, we, that, that come from our own journeys in life to where we are now. And, uh, uh, and so I, I try to trick people into behaving in ways that, that they wouldn't expect themselves to behave. And then I kind of hold a mirror up to it. And I just kind of show people, hey, look at, notice what you've done. And notice how it makes other people feel. And notice uh, you know, why people either do or don't like what you've done. Uh, and al alternative ways to, to view it. And so uh, I find that as a, uh, first of all, it's a, it's a very hard way to make a game. 
but uh, but I find it a, a challenge I enjoy and uh, and seems to be appreciated by the players. All right, well, thank you. That was a really good explanation. And thank you for all the work you're doing on your games and on the PRT project. And we will definitely, Absolutely. Follow, we will definitely follow both stories as time goes on. So thank you for Excellent. calling in. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.